then I knew that we had to play that role. We had to create events that would welcome somebody that has never stepped foot on a golf course, that has never held a golf club, that doesn't know the first thing. They don't know what birdie is, what par is. So we had to make it non-intimidating and also explain to them and show them that this is for you. It is for everyone and that golf really is welcoming, that it wants us to be there. When you're building something from nothing, you're just creating a need that nobody knew existed. And I just started going to every single Latina event, women's event, business conference, chamber meetings, and just started handing out my cards and saying, okay, I'm creating Latina Conference Association. Sometimes at first they would say, well, why? Why do I care? Why do I want to do that? Because they had that stereotype, well, golf isn't for me. It's all those people, usually guys, that play golf. And so then they started seeing the connection of how golf can really enhance their professional lives. And then they really love golf and they have gained a business tool. That's really what caught on fire. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks for joining us. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review to the show on either iTunes or our show page at mod.golf, so you'll never miss the latest engaging story with my amazing guests. If you'd like to receive our monthly newsletter, please sign up on the Mod Golf Podcast website to receive the latest news relating to the innovative future of golf. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is a repeat guest who I had on for a very short bit of a tease of an interview a few months ago, and that is Azucena Maldonado, who is the founder of Latina Golfers. So to open up, Azucena, welcome back. How are you? Hi. I am so excited to be here with you, Colin. My gosh, I keep track of what you're doing, and you are interviewing some really cool people in the golf world. So congratulations. Oh, thank you so much for that. Well, I have the good fortune of meeting amazing people like you by getting out there at the PGA show, like we met each other a few months back. And amazing people like you just keep introducing me to even more amazing people. So it just grows exponentially. And I am humbled by the opportunity to talk to these amazing people like yourself. Otherwise, to be honest, without this platform of the Mod Golf Podcast, I've had no reason to actually have a conversation with you. I had nothing to talk about. So <laughs> Golf does that, doesn't it? It just brings great people together. It it absolutely does. I wouldn't have the opportunity to shine the light on amazing people that are doing impactful things like yourself. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So as Susanna, to start us off here, tell us again, give us your personal backstory and then tell us about the aha moment for the formation of Latina golfers. Well, thanks. Sure. Listen, I am one of these people that has probably lived 10 lives. (laughs) And I have only recently come to realize that it's really not living 10 lives, that these are all chapters in the book of which is our life. And so all of these adventures I've had in my life have all brought me to the moment where I am today. So in my past, I've done a little bit of everything. I used to do television production. I used to host a show on public television. I have done grassroots outreach. But all of my background pretty much since I was about 18 years old when I started doing volunteer work at a public radio station has been in the Latino space. So it is a community that I come from, that I love to be a part of, and that I've gotten to know pretty well over the years because that's where I've worked. So when I moved to California some 15 years ago, I was just sort of starting another chapter in my life and never, ever, ever did I ever think that this chapter in my life would bring me to golf because I don't come from a golf background. Uh. Not at all. I didn't golf. My parents don't golf. We're first generation immigrants from Mexico. And I'm not sure if you know, but in Mexico and Central and South America, golf is private, it's not public. And so unless you belong to a country club, you're really not going to be playing golf. Right. So that was right. not our lives. I, I didn't grow up around that. I'm so jealous of people who were raised around golf because I just think, man, I, I would be a single digit golfer if I had, <laughs> if I was raised around golf. But anyway, that was not to be. Mine was going to be a different story. So when I moved here, I was sort of thinking a little bit about, well, what is this chapter in my life going to look like? But really, golf never would have, never was in there. 
was not in my field of reference whatsoever until I had been here for only a month, if that long. Right. And I was asked out on a date by this amazing man who was a crazy avid golfer. His name is Miguel Fernandez. And I mean, this man still is a crazy avid golfer. And he lives and breathes golf. And he asked me out on a date. I said, okay. On our second date, he took me to the golf course. He bought me a putter and he took me on the practice putting green and he basically showed me how to putt. And I'd never really been athletic in my life. And I just said, wow, you know, I like this. And I think this is something I can do. Well, for the three years that he and I spent together, I got an immersion in the world of golf. And that's all we did. He was so gracious with his time with me with his sharing golf with me, because he basically dedicated three years of his life to teaching me how to play golf. I am not lying when I tell you that he would take me at least three times a week to the golf course, especially those first years. The first year teaching me, drilling me. I would tell people, my God, it feels like I am Tiger Woods the kid and he's Tiger Woods daddy because he would literally drill me and drill me and drill me. And if I missed the putt, I'd have to start all over again. You know, it was really intense. And so I got that kind of immersion. I was really fortunate because I realized later on, that's really a gift. Not very many people will just sort of sacrifice their own game. He was a single, he is a single digit golfer. And for him to kind of put his game on the back burner and focus on me was really very generous of him. So I thank him every time I see him. And he still is my golf buddy because he just opened up my world. Just it really was opening up my world. So that's how I got into golf. And then I just became a recreational golfer like him, a crazy, avid recreational golfer that all I wanted to do was get my handicap down and we'd go play. And 18 holes was not enough. We'd play 36 holes in a day. It was that kind of a life that I had. However, I was just a recreational golfer and I only ever golfed with him and his golf buddies. So I never golfed with any women, just him. I felt safety there, right? Because it was just very safe. But then somebody invited me to play in a charity golf tournament. And I had never done that. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know anything about business golf. Right, right. Since I was just a recreational golfer. And when I showed up, I was totally blown away because I saw all of these VIPs and corporate sponsors and elected officials and entrepreneurs and people that I was only just getting to know because I'd only been here three years. And there they were at this golf tournament. And I was really excited about that. And I saw how everybody was bonding and it was very social yet business. And I saw so much action taking place. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. And people were recognizing me just as Asusena the golfer. And I was engaging in conversations with people that I would not really be able to approach so easily, like in that golf setting. And then after that, I played in a few more. And I realized that this was one of the wonderful things that golf has for people who want to participate in business golf. And then I realized that when I would go to just regular networking events and dinners, I would run into these same people and they would know who I was. It's not that easy to connect with some of these folks unless you work with them or on serve on volunteer committees with them. And yet I was able to connect with them through golf. So I thought, this is really magical. There is really something much more to golf than I even realized. But the one thing I really did notice is that there were so few women playing. Let's say there'd be a field of 100 men playing, plus there'd be three or four women in the entire tournament. After a few, I just thought, what's going on here? And of course, the advocacy person that is inside of me was like, oh my gosh, are they trying to keep us out? I mean, this is just too good to be true, right? Right. They're they're having all this great time bonding, doing business deals, and they don't want us here. That was my initial thought. It's like, what's going on? And then they started saying to me, hey, why don't you invite your friends? Why don't you bring your girlfriends to come play? And then I realized, you know what? I don't have any girlfriends that I know that play golf. (laughs) And I started asking my friends, hey, you want to come play? And they were like, I don't play golf. 
And after that, I realized it really, they were not at all trying to keep us out. It's just that we really were not at the table. And that was in 2008 when I decided I'm just going to do it myself. I'm going to start the Latina Golfers Association because that's a space that I know. Yeah. And that was on March 11th of 2008. And at my very first gathering, which was just very informal, just asking women through email and friends. And I had 94 women show up to the very first event. Wow. And I was like, okay, there's something here. You're onto something. They wanted to learn. And what I was getting from them was that we, we wanted to learn. We see how there's so much business that happens, but we don't know how to get started. They were like me. They don't really have golf in their field of reference. So they, they were intimidated about how to get started. And that's really the role that I feel the Latina golfers plays in that we are like a welcoming committee. We do events that are very welcoming to women and Latinas in particular. And uh, that's how we have grown, as you say, exponentially. Yeah. So what I love about this, that story back in 2008, and I, I do speak to a, a lot of entrepreneurs on the Mod Golf podcast, as you know, as I say, Anna. And a lot of them are into product and technology and experiences and community building like you're doing and you're combining some of those. What I love about your story is you applied some of those entrepreneurial startup ingredients there about testing something and trying something and getting some feedback and the validation. The fact you had, what did you say, 92 or 94 women come out for you? 94 women and three men, three smart men. And never had one before? Never. That was it. That was it. Yeah, it shows you had product market fit and validation. And obviously from that you went, wow. <laughs> I know you went, wow. And when there's, some, there's something there. There's something there. Yeah, I did. So how, how, how did you move forward in the next couple of years? Because you've scaled this up. Why don't you actually then tell our listeners what's then transpired over the next 11 years? Because not every woman has a lovely human being like a Miguel in their life. And you don't have a cloning machine to make a thousand Miguel. Mm -hmm. So in a way, you've kind of become... How can I put this? Have you embraced the inner Miguel and shared that all to invite women to play golf and feel comfortable around golf? Yes. So in a way, you've taken the Miguel factor and scaled that up through Latina yes. golfers. Would you say that's accurate? Exactly. That That is totally accurate because I realized after our first gathering of 94 women that what was missing here is that they didn't have that Miguel. I was so fortunate. That's when I realized how lucky I really was. Yeah. And so then I knew that we had to play that role. We had to create events that would welcome somebody that has never stepped foot on a golf course, that has never held a golf club, that doesn't know the first thing. They don't know what birdie is, what par is. So we had to how do I say, make it non-intimidating yep. and also explain to them and show them practically that this is for you. It is for everyone and that golf really is welcoming, that it wants us to be there. And so once I sort of got that messaging across and it wasn't necessarily an easy thing, as you know, when you're building something from nothing, I mean, you're sort of just creating a need that nobody knew existed. There is a lot of legwork. But because of some of the things that I've done in my past, I know about grassroots outreach. I know about marketing. And so I just started going to every single Latina event, women's event, conference, business conference, chamber meetings, all of that. And just started handing out my cards and saying, okay, I'm creating Latina Golfers Association. <laughs> and they would, sometimes it, at first, initially, they would say, well, why? Why do I care? Why do I, why do I want to do that? Because they had that stereotype. Yeah. And they would say to me, you know, well, golf isn't for me. You know, it's for rich old white guys, really is what they would say, a lot of them. And then I would start to say, hey, wait a minute. Don't you have this job in corporate America? And they go, yes. And go, well... Who's going to golf on Fridays with the boss and CEO and managers? And then they would stop and they'd go, oh, yeah, it's not me, right? It's all those people, usually guys, that play golf. And so then they started seeing the connection of how golf can really enhance their professional lives. And then ultimately what I love is they really 
love golf. You know, they learn to just love the sport and love the camaraderie that we have with each other. And they just love getting out there to play, but they have gained a business tool. And that's really what caught on fire. Yeah. And then it's just grown, as I said, exponentially because then they tell their friends and their friends and their friends and their sister and their aunt and their niece. And, you know, so we now have over 2,000 members, 2,000 women in LA County alone that have gone through our program. Amazing. Amazing. So initially it was like, okay, now what do I do? Right. And I had to put that thinking cap on and just go, okay, what did it take? for me to become a golfer. So this is what I have to create for them. How are they going to take that step and actually become a real golfer, bonafide golfer? So we started with golf clinics and they would come. They would just all come. We just select different golf courses and golf instructors and the ones that would work with me, we'd promote them. And then from that, I said, okay, golf clinics are not enough. We have to do golf lessons. So we we moved on to lessons. And then from lessons, we moved on to other lessons that would actually be on the golf course lessons. Because one of the things I have found, and it's still very true all across golf today, is that you can't just take golf lessons. Because if they're like us, then who's going to take them to the golf course? Yeah. And they have nobody. So we have to sort of hold them by the hand and take them through this process so they feel comfortable and then are able to go golf on their own, certainly able to play in a charity golf tournament or a business golf outing. So that's sort of been our model to get them to feel that it's fun. We don't ever like to say that it's difficult. (laughs) Sure, if you want to become a single-digit golfer, yes, (laughs) you are going to have to go practice three times a week. But if you just want to be able to have fun and go play in a charity tournament or a business golf outing or with your friends or spouse, partner, then it doesn't have to be difficult. So we really do a lot to make them feel the comfort level that it doesn't have to take them three years to get out on the course. They can do it, you know, after a few lessons. But what is important, what we do stress is golf etiquette. Yeah. Technically, you know, golfers, we've all been beginners. We don't mind playing with beginners. However, if somebody does not practice good golf etiquette and does not respect the game, then I don't care how good you are. Nobody's going to want to play with you. So that is sort of one of the first things that we do teach is good golf etiquette, pace of play. How do you respect the game of golf? How can you play with an advanced player? What are the things you need to do to keep pace of play? So once they have that under their belt, then they feel really confident about going out there and playing with anybody. Yeah. And that confidence aspect is so important that you touched on. And yeah, going from not playing golf at all, never invited to an 18 hole experience for a charity tournament or or just with friends that have invited you. That's that's so intimidating. And I use the I may have used this analogy with you before, Azuzana, of of the ski hill, of going from never been on a pair of skis or a snowboard to then taking up on the hill, on the lift, past the little bunny hill beginner area, past the green run, past the blue run, up on the backside yes. of the cliff on the double black diamond and saying, Okay, first time, let's go. We're we're gonna do this. And like, <laughs> that's scary. And golf is obviously not physically oh. intimidating in that way but emotionally it is stand with a driver in your hand on the first tee with everybody around that's waiting (gasps) yeah people there sitting out there having lunch around there on the patio it's like everybody watch what what an awful (laughs) experience it is it can be yes that's what we try to do and what i have learned also and i think research tells us this as well is that women For some reason, we are more perfectionist than men. Uh And so a guy, they don't seem to care. They'll they'll get out there and smack it. Whereas a woman wants to be absolutely sure that she can hit that shot or else she won't step her foot on the golf course. I have found that I once had a woman who is a member of ours and she took lessons with us and then she'd take private lessons here. And then I'd run into her at another golf course. She was with another instructor there. She took private lessons for over a year before she dared to step foot on the golf course. And I would say, Yvonne, just come on, just come play with us. I'm sure with all the lessons you've had, you're way better than any of us. So just, But we tend to not want to look 
dumb. We don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. And that is a big barrier for women. Yes. And you know what I love to do? I love to take them out. If I do a clinic, like at a charity golf tournament, I'll bring them out and I'll go, okay, now let's just look at these guys who are teeing off. And you, you know, Colin, that more than half of them, they only go out for these charity tournaments. They might play three or four or five times a year. So they're hackers. And so they're hitting it here. They're hitting it there. They're not on the fairway. And these women are just astounded, you know, because they just assume that these guys are going to be great. And when they see that they're not, they're like, (laughs) oh, wow, well, I can do that. (laughs) And that's that's also a bit of a guy thing, I have to say. And I may be a bit guilty of that myself, but I've seen it not only in golf and other sports, but also in business and especially in entrepreneurship with founders. I work in that space also with mentoring early startups and founders. And I find with women as compared to men, men, it's this bravado thing that with men, we uh, we think we're better at things than we actually are. And we have no problem putting ourselves out there and the, with the ego, whether it's with sports or even with startups. And I've seen it with women also supporting them in the entrepreneurship space of them being more cautious and being a little more conservative and also thinking they may not be quite ready for something. Whereas guys just put it out there, even though they're not, or they're, they think they're better than they are. And and, and men do that in golf too. <laughs> so it's- Yes. So that definitely translates to women in golf. And so, but once they see, they go, oh my gosh, I could do that. <laughs> then, then they're okay with it. Yeah. So, hey, I want to pull you back a little bit here. So you, you talked about that first mm-hmm. event when you had more than 90 women show up. It's been 11 years now. Rather than covering the whole thing to where you are now, I'm really intrigued by this conversation as, as you as an entrepreneur and not stumbling upon this, but now seeing just through sheer will and the opportunity of going from zero to creating something with Latina golfers. Talk about those first couple of years. Uh, you talked about the lessons and the things that you tried. So so did you approach this like a startup in the sense that you experimented with some stuff and saw what worked and the things that didn't, you didn't do as much. And so walk us through the first, let's say two, three, four, five years of Latina golfers of how you then managed to build this up. And then we'll talk after after that, uh, where you are today? It was definitely a learning process. And I didn't really have any models to compare myself to or with. I was new to the golf world myself. So I didn't know much about the golf industry. I was not connected at all to anyone in the golf industry. I knew nobody, no one, nobody. I just knew that I felt it had to be done. I saw the impact that it could make for women and for anybody, really. The connection of golf and business and careers was just so clear to me. And I, I felt driven, especially in our community. I felt that this was a tool that could really be a game changer for many of us, and especially youth. So I think that I was so driven by the passion and the conviction that this could be a game changer that I think that's really what fueled me and that's what kept me going. Right. So I was just sort of just doing it, right? Just always thinking, what would it take? What did it take me? What is it going to take? And so the challenge was always in learning to work with the golf courses, convincing them that this is how I wanted to do it, not necessarily traditionally how they've always done lessons in the past. And then it was a little bit of trial and error. Then I saw, well, this works, this doesn't work. We really need to step it up here, there, then making the connection of they can't just do lessons. We actually have to get them on the course. So it's really been a a learning process throughout the years. But I think we finally got it down. We finally got either a formula, we know what it takes. And creating, creating partnerships with golf courses is super important because we have to create things that a golf course might not normally do. So they have to trust me that I know what I'm doing and that it's going to work. And it always does. The women love to come to different kinds of events at the golf course and then combine golf with it. So I've done all kinds of things, fashion shows, brunches. We do everything and anything to get the woman onto the golf course. And then we add golf to it. Even our annual golf tournaments that I do for women, we don't exclude men, but they're primarily targeted at women. I do a super big party before the tournament. And now we're going to, this year, we're going to do it after the tournament. But we have at the driving range, we just, it's sort of like a top golf. We take over the driving range. We have margaritas, taco bar, cigar bar for women, cocktails, a drink we call micheladas, all of that. So it's just this 
fun, fun atmosphere. I, I want to go to one of those. That sounds awesome. Oh my God. There's so much fun. And what I do with those is I invite non-golfers, Right. a lot of non-golfer women, so that they're stepping foot to something that they know, which is like a fun reception party, but it just happens to be at the golf course. And then they see the women that are golfers that are going to play in the tournament and they're like, get all excited. They go, oh my gosh, look at all these women golfers. I want to do that. I want to do that. So then they sign up for clinics and lessons. So it has been a learning process. And believe me, there were times when I said, what am I doing? Why do I think I can do this? Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm crazy. You sound like an entrepreneur. This is the dumbest idea ever. Why am I doing this? And then you wake up the next day and realize, I got this. I got this. Yes. and But you know, for me, what has really helped and still to this day, I don't think a week goes by that I don't get some kind of note or validation from our women that tell me, oh my God, this totally transformed my life. Or I got a a bonus or I got an invitation to play in the foursome with the CEO of my company at their business retreat in the Bahamas, right? Yeah. So those come at me all the time. And I'm like, we see them at events and then they go, oh my gosh, I said, I would never be golfing if it wasn't for Latina golfers. Amazing. So you get so much of that feedback that that certainly inspires me to keep going. And then since then, the golf industry then started to notice, oh my God, who is this woman? Who is this woman and what's she doing? And we don't even know who she is. <laughs> You're making some noise. And then they started approaching me. Hey, will you serve on our committee, like the Southern California PGA or the SCPGA? And so I would start saying yes and yes. And that's how I started slowly becoming more involved with the golf industry and then realizing how big it is in the breadth of what the golf industry is. And that at the very same time, they were starting to have initiatives to grow the game of golf with women and with people of color. Yeah. So it was sort of like I just all happened at the perfect time and then sort of the rest is history. Yeah. You put a lot of good stuff out there and you talked about partnerships with golf courses early on and obviously in order for you to scale and grow partnerships and people that are advocates for you, ambassadors for you also to and make those introductions and you being very uh, intentional there, taking up on those offers of being on boards and connecting to grow your network and those relationships which is so critically important for this. So with that, I, w- I have a couple of questions here, but the first one I'll ask is this. Can you talk about in those early days, the people in golf and even outside of golf that really helped move the needle to help grow Latina golfers that supported and believed in what you were doing? Well, initially, I did knock on several doors of golf courses and the timing just either wasn't right. They would say to me, well, you know, this isn't really something we're interested in, right? And so I was a little frustrated. And then finally, one or two courses said yes. In fact, one course, I'll never forget, it's in the city of Alhambra right here in LA, right outside of LA. And they said, not only yes, but we'll do a free golf clinic for you. And I had about 60 women show up to that golf clinic and it was remarkable. Nice. And so then I've continued a partnership with them. That's probably been nine years or 10 years. And we have done golf lessons there. In fact, our annual golf tournament is there. So a lot of those early on partnerships have just blossomed into great relationships. And then now, and in years later, then yeah, they want to approach me and say, hey, will you come over here? Will you come over there? (laughs) So of course, I am loyal to those first ones that said yes to me. (laughs) But we do grow and we're, I'm sort of in that, I guess that growth the scary growth mode where people are asking for you everywhere yeah, and there's only one of you and you have to figure out how to scale and how to provide the same kind of service at other places that we visit because we're not only in LA County, we're in Orange County, Inland Empire, San Diego. We do things in Texas as well. I was just in Connecticut last month. So people do invite me to go and I'm just very careful of saying yes to everything because 
I don't want it to fail. So it's slowly growing beyond my dreams with regards to the acceptance of the golf community. The Southern California Golf Association was one of the first to reach out to me and say, we want to help you in any way we can. So they sort of held my hand and within the industry and brought me in. And then came Tom Addis, who is the executive director of the Southern California PGA of America, who they just bend over backwards. Anything I need in terms of on trade to golf courses or golf professionals. They are there for me. We're, we're partnering on a lot of projects for the future. And we also do, as if this was not all enough, we also do a lot of, not a lot, but we, on the summers, we do a lot of youth outreach. And I think what, what is special about Latina golfers, even though it is a business, the model has been one of uh, being a social entrepreneur in that what I know what I'm doing is something that benefits the community. It benefits women. It kind of does everything. So for our youth, what I really feel strongly that golf can transform a young person's life. For us, you know how some people will say, well, golf is a lifestyle. I say for our youth, golf is a lifeline because it totally can provide an opportunity for kids that would not have that opportunity either to go to college or to be in certain circles that they just would not find themselves in if golf wasn't in the picture. So we do free golf lessons in the summer. I created a program called Golf in the Park where we take snack. I don't know if you're familiar with what snag golf equipment is. I am. Why maybe you can explain it for our listeners? It's sort of modified golf equipment, exaggerated, but made out of hard plastic. So they look just like golf clubs and the golf balls that they use are like tennis balls so that nobody gets hurt. (laughs) You teach everything like you do golf. And so we take that equipment to the parks, to inner city parks, here in the Los Angeles County, and we do free golf lessons in the summer. And then, because what I realized is that these girls, these kids, they're not going to be at the golf course. Their parents are not never going to have that access to the golf course. So I have to go to them. I have to go to where they are. And our families do love parks. right? And so we hang out at parks. So we're bringing golf to the park and introducing them and then translating them into the first tee programs, you know, of Greater Pasadena or Los Angeles or Orange County or the SCGA Junior Golf Programs. We feed them into those programs that exist to help youth. So we're doing a lot. (laughs) Yeah, well, and what I love what you just mentioned there and one of the other hats that I wear as an entrepreneur in the sport and the golf innovation space with our company is we do focus on those off-course experiences and using that as that gateway. And you've done the exact same thing with snag golf of bringing golf to the people. And I love that. And that in my head, using that analogy, I was talking earlier about the ski hill and a way you've created the bunny hill for skiers for golf with snag golf by bringing it to them. So it's a much easier first experience rather than trying once again to hit a driver off the first tee on an 18 hole golf course. So, Hey, I wanted to ask you this, steering the conversation in a slightly different way with Latina golfers. So as an entrepreneur yourself, talk us a bit about the business model. Are you a registered nonprofit or like, how does that work? Do you have staff now, but also the first couple of years, was this a side hustle? Did you keep your main job that you had? And for a couple of years, you just hustled with this until you got in the position, you could do this full time. So tell us that the progression of where you were and where you are and, and how Latina golfers actually works as a business model. Yes. So initially I was a consultant in the Latino space in outreach, doing outreach in the community or event planning for organizations, because I have such a varied background. (laughs) I've done a little bit of everything. Right. So when I got here- part of your secret sauce though, right? That's part of your superpower. Yeah, true. (laughs) So when I got here, so I was really just starting out. That's what I was doing, consulting in art and in some political organizations, nonprofit. I was doing Latina golfers, but I was lucky to have a flexible schedule because I was a consultant. So that was a real blessing for me so that I was able to do everything. But then it got to the point where Latina golfers was just so much activity that the other stuff was getting in the way. And so then it finally got to the point now where 
I will only do an outside project if I really, really love the organization or, you know, I owe a debt to somebody, but I will, <laughs> otherwise I say no. So it, it did take a couple of years before I was able to just go full force with Latina golfers. But luckily I was able to do that. And it is not a nonprofit. In fact, I am starting a nonprofit because so much of what I do is so socially motivated and benefits the community. So it only makes sense to formalize that. Yes. And so that is an organization called Latina Links. Ah. And so, yes, now it's been in my brain forever and it's finally getting out there, you know, in terms of doing all the paperwork and <laughs> getting our attorneys behind it. But now we got a lot of support and people are saying, you just have to hurry up and do it. So I'm motivated to get it done this year. So Latina Links will be the nonprofit arm of our movement, if that's what you want to call it. Yeah, absolutely. And we do have people now working for us, either the independent golf instructors, or I have assistants that help me project by project. So that's getting a little bit better and hopefully soon a full-time assistant. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, it sounds like you can use it. Maybe you yes. can use about 10 full-time assistants yes. at the rate that you're going. Yes. So let me ask you this. You're in an interesting position now after building this up locally in, in Southern California, and you said you You've been to Texas, you've been to Connecticut. So you have the opportunity, if you would want, to scale this and perhaps turn this into more of a national platform. Is that something that interests you? Or maybe tell us about that ecosystem across the United States with other, I'm assuming, assuming there's other Latina and Latino golfing associations that do similar activations and programming uh, that you do. So tell us a little bit about that across the United States, because I'm sure it's just not you in isolation that's uh, making all this magic happen in the greater Los Angeles area. Well, Colin, I wish I could tell you that there were others, but there are not. Really? Which is why I get so many calls from everywhere. And because I am connected to different regional and national Latino organizations, so they know and hear about us, and so they're always calling. But no, sadly, there really isn't anything like what we're doing anywhere. Only the only place that is doing it right now is Connecticut. And I have been mentoring them for about a year when they got started. And like I said, I was just there to help them do sort of the same thing, you know, which is engaging women to learn how to play golf. And they're all about that. So they're really the only other group, but they're doing it very, very locally. I mean, nobody else really is doing it. And so that's why I do feel the need to grow regionally and nationally because we get asked to go to these places. I think it's more just about learning myself to scale it up because now I know the formula. I know what works. It's being able to make these relationships with other golf courses around the country or strategic places. Texas is obviously a strategic place for us and a few other states are pretty strategic and just grow that way. Yeah. So I just have to be a little more strategic about what I do and, and managing my time and getting help and growing. So we get a lot of sponsorships from different companies that help us. And so it's just a matter of connecting with the right sponsors that want to be in those areas and understand what we're doing and see how they can reach such a unique and uh, niche market, a coveted market. But so, yes, I definitely want to do it regionally and nationally. Yes. But more regionally in some strategic states. Got it. Got it. Well, give us some context here in the United States of a population of roughly 350 million people. What's the Latinx population in the U.S.? And of course, with the spending power and the rising middle and upper middle class and beyond of, uh, of the community and the ability to now enjoy and have some leisure time to play games like golf, the opportunity is massive. So how big is the Latinx community in the United States? It's really impressive and growing. Now, if I knew you were going to ask me that question, I'd have the correct numbers for you. But it is a multi-trillion dollar <laughs> market. That is for sure. Now, like for instance, in California, we're over 50% of the population, right? That's pretty significant. And so in some states, Texas, another one, if Latinos are not engaged in the sport of golf, it's not going to grow in a state like California. You really need 
the buy-in of this community in order for golf to thrive. Texas is not quite like California, but almost there. We have the youngest population of anybody, of any community. So the youth is, the future is in our youth. That's a wonderful opportunity. Women, in terms of Latinas, we start businesses more than any other ethnic group. So that's an impressive number as well. So it's Texas, California, Florida, Arizona, those are the obvious states. And even up east, more than we ever imagined, Latinos are a big part of that population. Yeah, well, the whole Puerto Rican population Mm -hmm. up there, especially in New York and beyond. Hey, while you were responding to me there, I did Google the size of the Hispanic and Latino population in the U.S. And I have the number here. So don't you Google it now. So this is a quiz. There's no prizes being awarded here. But why don't you take a guess of the population size in the U.S.? Oh, my gosh. How many people did you say are in the U.S.? You said 350? About 350, 350 million, give or take. Oh, my gosh. Well, a third for sure. Pretty darn close. But well, not quite. Actually, 52 million. So if you take half of those are women. Right. You're at 26. And let's say at that age group you're looking at, you have a, as we say in the startup world, as far as your total accessible market for you with Latina golfers in the United States is probably around 15 to 18 million women. Exactly. It's a great number. So you better get Miguel back on board. You're going to need his help to access each one of those. (laughs) But joking aside, I guess one of the things for you to scale this is not like you actually have the technology that you then have to automate certain Mm -hmm. things. You're very what we call high touch experience. In fact, you're hands on. And I had discussions. I'm sure you met her. And we'll talk about the diversity roundtable, the PGA show where we met a couple months ago. And Clemmie Perry, who is out of Tampa with Women of Color Golf. I had the same question to her that I asked you five or 10 minutes ago about the opportunity to scale this across the country. And for her, she had some reluctance there because she didn't feel that she had the connectivity or would be able to provide that same quality of experience for the golfers. Right. It hadn't quite cracked that nut yet to find those other partners across the country to be able to scale up. Because like yourself, you can't unfortunately replicate yourself a hundred times and drop yourself across the country. So that's part right. of the trick as far as if you want to scale, it's got to be a little bit slower, right? In order to build that up. It does have to be one of those. I am very fortunate that I have built relationships with different women's groups and different Latino groups in the Southwest, for sure, and a little bit on the East Coast, just through my life, you know, of all the things I've been involved with. I'm very fortunate that way that I do have people I can call upon, groups, chambers of commerce that are already built in. And it's really a matter of just establishing relationships. Texas is certainly one of those so that it's not as difficult for me in some of these key areas, like starting from scratch, because it would be too difficult to just start from scratch. So you have to have some kind of a base. So I feel very fortunate that I have that in some states. So that is why I feel optimistic that that is the next step. That is where we're going and just build on them because they already want us there. You know, yeah. Now it's just a matter of figuring out how to get there. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the fact you've done this grassroots kind of bottom up approach when you started in LA and the other way to do it, of course, and you're merging these two things together for what I can tell. And that is the top down approach of getting organizations that already have national reach and connectivity yes. so that you can uh, take advantage of their resources and their abilities also. Yeah. That ties into, I guess, the conversations you had for a national level. Everybody came together where we met at the Diversity Roundtable Workshop at the PGA Show a couple months back. Can you tell us about that experience of what you learned and who you met? Maybe share a story of of what you experienced there. Well, I love, I really love attending the PGA show in Orlando. I've been going for the past few years. And the difference from when I first went to even just this year is just remarkable. When I first went, the PGA a section actually invited me to go speak. I think they were just starting their outreach, their 2020 program to do outreach for women. They'd heard about what I was doing. So they invited me to do like a workshop, right, for their PGA pros. And that was my very first experience. I didn't know anybody. I just was, I felt very intimidated. And when you go to that space, I mean, everybody in the world of golf is there from all over, literally all over the world. Yeah, It's huge, thousands of people there. I didn't know anybody. And I, it was 
really interesting. And then fast forward now this past year where the new president of the PGA of America knows who Latina Golfers Association is, you know? And so it's it's just been amazing. And they have been welcoming. And every time I meet more people, it is an important place to be if you are in this golf space because everybody is there. So being there does give you the opportunity to network and visit with people, meet new people, people you've only spoken to on the phone or via email, you get to see them in person. And with the diversity task force, it's really cool to be in the room where people like you and have the passion for golf and growing the game of golf in one room together and to see what they are doing individually or as groups. It just gives you hope. It excites me. I love to hear the stories of what people are doing and then to forge partnerships with people. For instance, like with Clemmy and with Black Girls Golf with our girl Tiffany. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tiffany Fitzgerald. Our relationship has blossomed. And so I will partner with them on anything. I know that Tiffany and I are always in conversation about what can we do to help each other? How do we leverage both our communities together for the greater good and working on projects together? So that's been super beneficial and really exciting to be a part of that movement. And really just to see and be a part of growing the game of golf in this country is very exciting to me. Well, to be able to collaborate with women like Clemmy and Tiffany, as you mentioned, that is really the way you can scale this up and learn from each other and combine your resources and your knowledge and your experiences. And there are such amazing supportive people. And I've had quite a few of them on the podcast from Sandy Cross with the PGA. Yes. Oh my gosh. Sandy has been a tremendous supporter of mine. She actually even came to our golf tournament last year and she was blown away, you know, by what she saw, because I think we do things a little bit different. And she was just so excited to see how we are reaching people that would never really have stepped foot on the golf course. So she has been tremendous. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, haven't had Tiffany on the podcast quite yet. You know her, perhaps you can encourage her next time you talk to her to have her come on the Mod Golf podcast. I certainly will. Because we've been back and forth for a little while to make that happen. But even with Susie Whaley, I'm hoping that as the president of the PGA now, I would love to have her on the podcast too. And she's such a, an amazing supporter for the work that you do and for growing the game and for building that community. She gives me hope because I just feel, don't you feel the new energy, a difference in just the feeling and the mission on a national level of the PGA of America. I just think she has just opened up so many doors for many of us who may not have felt like we were on the inside before. We certainly feel that the doors are open for us now. Absolutely. And and they understand, they've understood for a few years that it's just good for business and good for the game is to welcome and bring in underserved communities from women, African-Americans, mm-hmm. Latinos. As Steve Mona says, to make golf look like America looks. And that is a work in progress. It's definitely going in the right direction. Still lots of work to be done there. But it is just good for business and it's good for the game to transform the game. And as you put it, transform lives. And it really does with the work that you're doing on the social impact side as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. It sounds like you're just getting started there with Latina links. So, hey, I I could talk to you for five hours here. I really could. But I know I want to be respectful of your time. So I'll just quickly wrap this up here. One thing I want to say, as I found this out just the other day, that you recently won an award from Latina Style Magazine. Yes. So go ahead and toot your horn, brag a little bit. Tell us about that, because apparently there's some other amazing women that are going to be sharing the stage with you that night. Thank you. Latina Style Magazine is a national magazine for business women, primarily business women and corporate Latinas, the professional Latina. Right. And they travel around the country with a conference called the Latina Style Business Series. And so they are visiting Los Angeles. And I am among three women who are receiving an award. And I'm honored to be receiving an award, but I am so excited to be on the same stage as two nationally and internationally recognized Latinas of Southern California. And they are, number one, Dr. Betty Uribe, who is an author. 
and she is recognized by Forbes magazine as a top 50 Latinas in the country to watch and a, an amazing business person. She's a VP of a bank. And anyway, she's getting an award. And then a woman named Maria Salinas, who is probably the most prominent, the most recognized Latina in Southern California, who is the first woman president of the Los Angeles Chamber of Commerce. Wow. And she's one of our great supporters, Maria Salinas. So to be on the stage with those women, I'm just beyond excited and so proud that we are getting that kind of recognition. I love it. And then I will tell you, two weeks ago, I got another award from here locally. The National Hispanic Business Women's Association recognized me, Latina golfers, as an entrepreneur, a woman of the year. You are crushing it. That is amazing. <laughs> and see, that's the calling card right there. You talk about, well, what is the elevator pitch for Latina golfers back in the early days of saying how it introduces women to business opportunities. You're living that right now with creating Latina golfers, that you're the physical embodiment of that right there. The fact now you're connected outside of golf, even more so into the business community and yeah. now meeting people that otherwise, I think it's fair to say that uh, 11 years ago, you would not have had the opportunity to meet, right? Absolutely right. So what we Latina golfers does is empower women by teaching them how to leverage golf as a business tool so they can shatter the glass ceiling with a golf ball. Boom. Mic drop. Got it. <laughs> there we go. And I like the analogy you used earlier talking about this is a, yet another chapter in your life. You are the hero of your own story and that journey that you are writing. And it sounds like you are ready to embark on that next chapter on your own personal hero's journey, which is super exciting. So I have a feeling this will not be the last time I will be asking you to be on the Mod Golf Podcast because I think I need a, at least a regular annual checkup to see what is going on and how uh, what the next big thing is that you're doing. I look forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. So as I said, before you go, can you tell our listeners how they can find out more about what you are doing with Latina golfers? Yes, they can reach us. Our website is latinagolfers.com. And on social media, Instagram, Twitter, at Latina Golfers. Facebook as well, Latina Golfers. So you can just, just Google Latina Golfers and you're going to find us. Easy peasy. Well, as I always do, I will include all of those links in the show notes. So it's easy for our listeners to find you rather than having to scribble that down while they're listening to our words here. Fabulous. And also in your bio page, I'll include those things also. And if you would do me a favor, if you can send me a picture or two of you at the awards ceremony for Latina Style Magazine. I would love to include those. Oh, thank you. That's great. I will definitely do that. Absolutamente. No problem. Yes, yes. No. Happy to do it. Okay, why don't we leave it at that? So, as Susana Maldonado, founder of Latina Golfers, as it always is when I speak to you, well, I don't need caffeine when I talk to you. My energy level is like so high. You just, <laughs> you just share that love and that energy. And I thank you for that. And I also thank you for all the amazing things that you are doing in golf and beyond golf as you are helping transform lives through golf. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You are so welcome. So good luck tomorrow night. Not that you need luck, but enjoy that experience. Can't wait to see the pictures. And I look forward to talking to you soon. So you take care. Hasta Hasta luego. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Azucena Maldonado, who is the founder of the Latina Golfers Association, which is an LA-based organization that empowers women by teaching them how to use golf as a tool for personal and professional development. I'd love to hear what you found interesting and useful in this episode. So please share your thoughts by emailing me at colin at modgolfpodcast.com, and I promise to get back to you. If you'd like to learn more about the work Azuzana passionately takes on to support the golf industry and grow recreational participation, go to our episode show page where we've included links and photos to provide you with additional content. I'd like to extend my gratitude and thanks to our sponsor partners, British Columbia Golf and Nextlinks, for helping make the Mod Golf podcast happen. I also want to send a big welcome to our newest sponsor partner, Golf Genius Software. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from the golf industry's brightest innovators and influencers. Are you a golf course owner or operator struggling with the complexities of running tournaments? Do you want to spend less time running them while increasing revenue and profit margins? Check out our friends at Golf Genius to learn how they can help make the magic happen at golfgenius.com. Please join me next time when I speak with Dale Merritt, founder and CEO of GolfPay, about customer experience and how, through service design and technology, course operators can acquire, engage, and retain more golfers. 
If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more of our innovation stories on previous episodes at mod.golf or search Mod Golf Podcast on iTunes. And please rate, review, and subscribe to the show while you're there. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me. Bye for now.